0: So this week in worship, we are still in our sermon series on the seven signs and miracles that we find in the gospel of John. And believe it or not, we are on the sixth sign this morning. So we've really covered some ground during this series. We only have one more week of this left uh, after this week. So I was just doing some reflecting. And if if you've been here with us every week, then you can probably recall those with me. But if you haven't, This is what we've covered thus far, because we've covered a lot. So the first sign is when Jesus turns water into wine. The second sign is when Jesus heals the son of the royal official. The third sign is the healing of the man who's beside the pool. Remember, he was laying beside that magic pool and then, you know, all that great story. Fourth sign is the feeding of the 5,000, which is another very familiar story. And then last week we looked at Jesus walking on water and calming the storm that happens right after they come down the mountain from the feeding of the 5,000. And this week, we're in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, and we're looking at a story of Jesus healing a man who has been blind for his entire life. The scripture says that he was born blind. So just a reminder about why we're doing this, why we're working through the seven signs like this. And it's, it's because, first of all, this is how the gospel writer for, for John's gospel organizes his story of Jesus' life. He uses these seven signs and miracles almost as a handrail through his entire gospel with the hopes that we as the reader will walk away with a better understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to this earth to do. The second reason is because I think this portrays a really cool look at the trajectory of Jesus's ministry, right? It's almost like little pit stops along the way as Jesus ultimately makes his way to the cross. And I thought this would be a really cool way for us to spend our time leading up to Lent. Because remember, we have this week, and we have next week, and then we have Ash Wednesday, and then we're in the season of Lent where we're making that way, that journey to the cross with jesus and this year if you've been tracking with us you'll be doing that having just really read one of the gospels almost from the beginning to the end and i just i thought that would be a really helpful journey for us to go on as a church together so this morning let's read our scripture we're going to start off with the first seven verses and then we're going to end up reading just a little bit more along the way so we're in john chapter nine verses one to seven As he walked along, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread it on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. This sixth sign in the Gospel of John is different from all of the others that we have covered thus far. And if we stopped reading right there at verse seven, you probably wouldn't catch why, unless you have a Bible open in front of you. So I'm going to do something that I don't normally ask y'all to do. And that's to grab your pew Bible from in front of you. There should be a Bible in within reach and open it up to page 102 of the new Testament. So you're going to have page numbers that are just for the Old Testament and then it's going to start over for the New Testament. So page 102 in the New Testament and it should open you right up to the beginning of John chapter 9, what we just read. Because when you open up your Bibles and you see all of chapter 9, you realize that this sign, this miracle, this healing, it happens within the first seven verses of chapter 9, which is what we just read together. But the story of the blind man... It goes on for the whole rest of the chapter. He gets healed in the first seven verses, but then the whole rest of chapter 9 is still about this same man. So if we look at what the rest of the story is about, what fills out the remaining verses, because it goes almost all the way to verse 40. It's long, but if you look at it, and we're just going to track through it today together you're going to see that what you find is almost 30 verses of people just trying to make sense of what just happened. That is a blind man, a man born blind, a man that they all knew, having some mud rubbed on his face, going to wash it off in a pool, and then suddenly he comes back and he's able to see, much less how Jesus fits into that equation. That's what chapter 9 is in the Gospel of John. It's just people trying to make sense, wrap their heads around of what just happened to this man that they all know. And I think there's something for us to learn in the rest of the story. So unlike most weeks, we're not really going to focus that much this morning on the actual sign, on the actual healing. Instead, we're going to see what we can learn from what comes after from other people trying to figure out what they just saw and what they just experienced. Okay, so so the story, right? The man has mud rubbed on his face. He goes to the pool, and he comes back, and suddenly he can see. And that's where verse 7 leaves off. And the man, after this, I would assume he leaves Jesus' presence, and and he starts to go about his life. And people notice that he's different, that he can see all of a sudden, that he's no longer blind and and they have a hard time understanding how that's how that's possible. First we run into his neighbors and they just they just can't believe it. They ask questions like is it really him? Is is this the same guy? How is this possible? How can you not see before but you can see now? And the man, the man who was made blind able to see, his explanation is really simple. They is is it really you? is what they ask and he goes, "Yeah. It's me." I'm the man. Jesus made some mud. He he put it on my eyes, and and now I I can see. I don't know where Jesus is now, but but he's the reason. That's all I know. That's all I can tell you. That's what we have in verses 8 to 12. After that, we have the Pharisees, and and they get all tangled up, right, because Jesus did this on the Sabbath, among other things, which is, of course, a no-no, and this isn't the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. So they begin to ask the man what happened and and he gives them the exact same answer that he gave the neighbors. Yeah, it's me. I'm the man. Jesus made the mud, he he rubbed it on my eyes, he sent me to the pool, and now now I can see that's that's all I know. But the Pharisees they, they can't they can't quite get past it. Right? We we encounter the neighbors and they seem to kind of fade into the background but the Pharisees remained present all the way through chapter 9, which really shouldn't surprise you, right? Because they, they were grinding an axe against Jesus, and of course, because he did this on the Sabbath, that was, that was a problem. And, and they just they can't understand how someone could not observe Sabbath, who they don't believe is from God, could do something like this. So they go back and ask the blind man again, right? It's like they go ask him the first time and then they go back to their corner and then they go back and ask him again and they say, are you sure, are you sure that it was Jesus who did this? What, what, what did he tell you he was? Who is he? And the man says, well, he told me he was a prophet. And the Pharisees still don't believe him. They still can't wrap their minds around it. So they go to get a second opinion, They go to the blind man's parents and they ask them what they know. And I'm just going to start reading at verse 18. You're welcome to follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bibles because I want us to really take a close look at the parents here in the story. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, "'Is this your son?' who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, therefore his parents said, "Ask him; he's of age." Sometimes I'm the neighbors. Sometimes in this story, I think I think I'm the neighbor. Sometimes I have a hard time believing what Jesus has done because I just can't wrap my mind around it. I can't seem to fathom that level of transformation. Happening, Whether it be with a person or with a situation or something in my life. Sometimes I just have a hard time understanding because I don't even recognize the person before from the person after. And I can't understand how God can enact that much change in the world. Sometimes I think I'm the Pharisees. Sometimes I have a hard time understanding uh, God's presence and work in the world because it doesn't fit in the box that I have built for God. I think if we really boil down the Pharisees, that's what's happening here. They've encountered Jesus who's sent from God, and all these things that he's doing, they don't fit in the box that has been constructed for God. Like, for instance, heal on the Sabbath. And it makes it really difficult for them to fathom how this could be the same God, and yet God doesn't fit inside of their neat and tidy little box. And that can be a really challenging thing for us to encounter in our world. So sometimes I I do. I I think that I'm probably... The Pharisees, that God works in ways in the world around me that breaks out of that mold that I've created for God, and then suddenly I'm left picking up the pieces a bit to try to understand again who God is and what God has come into the world to do. But a lot of the time, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm the parents. A lot of the time. A lot of the time, if I'm honest with myself, I feel like I feel like I'm the parents. They get asked, Is this your son born blind and now he can see? And they say, Yep. That's him, but we don't know how and we don't know who made this happen. So we think that you should just go and ask him. And if that was actually the case, it would be one thing, right? But we learn right after that that they're not really being totally honest, are they? I want you to hear verses 22 and 23 again. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. Something you learn really quick uh, when you're a pastor is that sometimes people treat you a little bit differently once they realize what you do for a living. And I really struggled with this when I was in seminary and when I was in the very beginning phases of serving a church full-time and really owning my identity as a pastor and as a clergy person. And, and I still do struggle with it sometimes. And I, I'm, I'm sure it's a struggle that most pastors have faced in life, right? Just, just this, you encounter people and they figure out what you do and they just begin to act a little bit differently towards you. And you kind of wish sometimes that they didn't know. And here's, here's what you realize once, once you've been doing it for a while. Sometimes it is very convenient to be a pastor. And sometimes it is very inconvenient to be a pastor. My grandfather was also a pastor, and when when people would ask him what he did for work, and he didn't really want to divulge his full work life, instead of saying that he was a pastor, he would just say he sold fire insurance. Get it? Which I think is pretty clever, right? He's not like lying, lying, right? He would say, oh, I just... I'm a fire insurance salesman. Yeah, you know, that's like a very, okay, we're not going to really dive much deeper into that, right? But then you think about it and you're like, really? There's just, anyway, I think that's funny. I've used that a few times, if I'm being totally honest with you, okay? One of the most inconvenient times for me to pastor as well is when I'm flying alone on an airplane, right? I'm sure you can imagine this. Because when someone asks me what I do for work and I'm flying by myself on an airplane, which I did a lot when I was in seminary because I was in Dallas and Madison was in Birmingham and so I flew back and forth quite a bit. It was a real roll of the dice if I was honest with people. Cuz usually one of two things would happen. I would either encounter someone that was way oversharing about their life and told me everything, every single encounter they had ever had with the church or with a pastor, or someone would ask me that and they wouldn't really want to make eye contact with me for the rest of the flight and it would be super super awkward. And so I realized that just saying I was in law school at SMU was a much, much safer answer, much safer. Now, when I get pulled over, on the other hand, it is very convenient for me to be a pastor. I really, I can't get the words out of my mouth quick enough. Do you want to know what I do for a living? (laughs) It's funny, uh, but I, I, I think the same is probably true for all of us. Sometimes it's convenient to be a Christian and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's convenient for us to talk about our faith, to share what Jesus has done in our life. And other times it's just, it's just not. Other times doing that could make our life a little bit more, a little bit more difficult, couldn't it? Because we could receive judgment from others or, or it could, it could cost us something. I think it's convenient to be a follower of Jesus when it doesn't cost us anything. Maybe even when it benefits us. Somehow, and it's it's inconvenient for us to be a follower of Jesus when it costs us something. And I'm betting that if you sit with that for a moment, all of you are going to think a little differently about that because I'm betting that for some of you it's convenient to be a follower of Jesus at work, and for others of you, it isn't. And for some of you, it's convenient to be a follower of Jesus at home, and for others of you, it isn't. You, you get what I'm saying, right? All of our worlds are going to look different, but if we boil it down, we're going to have areas of our life where it's really convenient for us to be a Christian. And other areas of our life where living out our faith or sharing our faith is going to be something that may end up costing us something. Looking at the parents this week, it led me to, to ask this question of myself. And it says, what has the bigger influence on me? What has the bigger influence on me? My experience with Jesus... Who I know Jesus is, what Jesus has done in my life, how I've seen God work and move in my life, that, my experience with Jesus, or my fear of what others will think. What has the biggest impact on me? My experience with Jesus or my fear of what others will think? Because I think that's the question that the parents are stuck between in our scripture. What's going to have the biggest influence on them? what they know Jesus has done to their son, because they saw it and they know it's him, or their fear of what it's going to cost them and what others will think. Because you can see it in the scripture, right? They know. They know what, what Jesus did. They know that it's their son. They know that he was born blind, but, but they, ju- they just won't say it. They won't they won't own it. And, and I, think it, I think it is because of their fear, right? Their, their fear of being thrown out of the synagogue. Their fear of being judged. Their fear of what others may think of them. Their fear of the cost that will be inflicted upon them if they, if they really own who they know Jesus is. And I just, I just think we get stuck in the same spot sometimes. I know I get stuck in the same spot Sometimes. And I think the story of the blind man calls us beyond that. And instead, it challenges us to be just a little bit more like the man. Because did you notice that amid all of the questioning, amid all of the doubt, amid all of of the prying, he, he stays true. He answers all the questions, right? At least as much as he can. Who did it? What, what do you think about him? How did he do it? Who is this man? What is he doing with us? Do, do, do you know who he is? Do you know, do you know where he is? And, and every time the man says the same thing, doesn't he? Yeah, it's me. Jesus, Jesus did this. I'll, I'll tell you again. Yes, I was blind. I was born blind and Jesus made some mud and he rubbed it on my eyes and he told me to go wash it away in the pool and I came back and now I can see. And what I realized this week is all the blind man is doing is telling his story. That's all he does in our scripture, is just tell his story. Now, he doesn't have all the answers. He can't satisfy everybody's questions, but he can tell his story. He can tell his own experience when he walked up on this man named Jesus and he was blind before and he could see after. At one point in verse 25, the Pharisees are asking him, questions about jesus for i think the third or fourth time questions that he doesn't know the answer to and finally this is what he says and i love this i don't know whether he's a sinner in other words i can't answer all of your questions but there's one thing i do know that though i was blind now i see i love that look guys all i know all i know is that I used to be blind, and now, now I can see. And I found myself thinking this week, I wonder wonder what would happen if we were just willing to share what Jesus had done in our lives, like the man does in the Scripture. I wonder what would change if we were willing to tell our story. I wonder what would happen if we were more motivated by our experience of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our life instead of our fear of what others May think, or our fear of what it may cost us. I'm sure you've heard me say this before because I really do believe this so passionately, but our stories, your story, your experience of what God has done in your life and in the lives of those around you, I think are some of the most powerful things that you have to share, to reveal to somebody who God is and what God is doing in the world around them. But so often, so often, those stories are what we hold closest, closest to our chest. Because they're intimate, they're exposing, and they could end up costing us something. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, I wonder what that is for you. I was blind, but now I see. I wonder what that is for you. I wonder what God's done in your life. I wonder how God has transformed you or, or forgiven you or, or healed you or supported you or, or walked with you. I wonder, wonder what your story is. I was once blind, but now I can see. And once you've figured that out, the question is, are you sharing it? Are you willing to own it despite what it may cost you, despite when it's a little bit inconvenient? Are you willing to be motivated by your experience with Jesus, who you know Jesus is? instead of what it could possibly cost. All I know is that I was once blind, but now I can see. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. I hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. Of course, you're welcome to join us any week at 10 a.m. on Sundays, either here in this space or on our live stream for worship. And of course, you can check us out on our website at www.bluffparkumc.org to find out more about who we are as a church, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of that. Feel free to reach out and contact us with any questions or concerns you may have. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.